not just after Lambeth, but several of the, uh, the 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 primates meetings, they were gonna, you know, they were gonna harumph very loudly. Yeah, they were gonna, and, and it just, <laughs> it's just a joke, and everyone knows it's a joke. I could, if you continue, you, sir, I will harumph Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Yeah, really well, Nick. Thanks. J.D., before my first Sunday at Grace Church, I think I was extremely psychosomatically nervous and was profoundly sick all night the night before you had Sunday number one at St. Luke's. <laughs> How did it go for you? It was great. I was, I was somewhat nervous, although um, in part, thanks to this podcast, uh, among other output over the past uh, three or four years, I was, um, it gave them sufficient notice as to what they could expect. <laughs> um, you know, so I was a little less, uh, nervous than perhaps I was as a younger man, but um, actually it was great. We I didn't do very much. Um, Greg Kranz, uh, in his wisdom, thought it would be good for us to at least experience the church service as um, sort of as parishioners for the for me the first and last time, um, at least for a long time. And so it was great. It was um, you know it was kind of just uh, on on deck at the eight o'clock, and then Liza and all of us got to sit and. Um, experience the whole worship service at the, their main service, which is 10, which is a really well done, I have to say, blended um, service. They have uh, both a contemporary band and a beautiful um, organ, and they all, all of the musicians play every song, uh, mm. which I've never seen. So it's not like just the organ plays the hymns and the yeah. contemporary band. It's actually pretty cool. If and, it's and a really well done blended service, you have something to teach literally the entire world because I've <laughs> never heard of one before. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's only one experience of it, but I have to say the the quality of the musicians, uh, if they're listening, is, is superb, as is often the case in, um, you know, Anglican churches or liturgical churches. But um, the band uh, works with the organ and the choir in a way that I've never seen. Um, well, I've never seen it done in that way. I've only, my only experience of it has been, you know, the organ. Uh, actually, the one I mainly see is the guy jumps back and forth from, you know, the keyboard with a band to the organ or the choir. And, um, and it, so it's interesting. And I have, I was suspicious. I was open to my suspicion about it. And, I, and, and to, to their credit, they kept telling me that the the Zoom um, and sort of the audio online doesn't do justice to the um, in person, which of course we've talked about before, and that was certainly the case. So I was I was grateful. I was excited actually. I was like, all right, this is fun. Um, uh, this is this is going to be fun. And so yeah, we're um, we're still I'm still uh, letting Greg sort of have his his victory laps. Uh, not letting. I mean, he's he's having that. Rightly so, after so many uh, decades of faithful service here, and so um, it's a it's it's good. It's a it, the anticipation was uh, worth it, and the excitement is growing. And so, just um, yeah, thanks for asking. So, Matt, can you reach back into the sands of time and remember your first Sunday at Church of the Good Shepherd? <laughs> and like wait, twenty years ago, and I can't, man, I don't remember the first Sunday at all. I mean, no, <laughs> but I know, I mean, I, I, I know I was nervous and I know, 
because that was your first church out of seminary, right? Yeah, I was rector. I was made rector. Uh, well, actually, I came in as priest in charge. I was made rector like six months later. But, but yeah, there was. Yeah, there had been no one there for three years. You know, they're, they're my predecessor. Right. Yeah. So if you couldn't break it any worse, that's right. Yeah, no, it was no, already. No. It was a. It was kind of described to me as a diamond in the rough, which, which when someone says that to you, you know. <laughs> they emphasize right. the rough, not the yeah, diamond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's got uh, great personality. <laughs> <laughs> it's a unique fixer-upper opportunity. That's, that's, that's how it's <laughs> It was great. It was great. The people were great. The investment for the and right person. Some of those people are still with us today, so great that's right you just sat down and had a 17 hour expositional sermon on um, yeah, every, every verse of revelation that's right. exactly yeah. <laughs> this morning just, just like bts taught you that's right open your bible to genesis our text is going to be genesis through revelation that's right yeah well, guys, the Lambeth Conference is finally over. We, we've done two episodes about it. Countless articles and think pieces have been written. A billion snarky tweets have been sent. Uh, at least one snarky comment has been made by the Archbishop of Canterbury himself. Uh, and here the communion sits, perhaps as tenuously connected as it's ever been. Uh, we're going to kind of leave the conversation prompt a little open-ended today, just sort of see where we go. Uh, what was the thing that stood out to you guys the most now that we're in the aftermath of Lambeth 2022? I, mean, I guess I just, it's just such a, it's such a, um, a sad show. You know, there, there's, 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 I, I understand the need that some Orthodox people have for it, the global South and in the um, other areas of the, of the world, the need to go and to remain connected. I mean, I, I was reading the uh, GFSA, the, the Global South Primates and Bishops statement in Anglican Inc. And I, I completely understand, you know, wanting to stay connected and want to be in communion. And I think that's right. That's, it's an admirable thing, but, but I, I see the, it's the tough whole, when you have to keep clarifying that just because we're in the same room doesn't mean we yeah, agree or are going in the same direction. It, exactly. You have to keep saying over and over, we're not walking together. Uh, we're not in full communion. We're not the same. So, but, but the fact of you meeting, the fact that you're meeting and the fact that you're, you're giving that meeting the legitimacy that it claims to have, it belies what you say. Again, I'm not saying I, I totally believe these people are, are, uh, have integrity and are honest and are, are trying to do uh, what's right as far as they see it. Uh, but, but I, I don't think they fully grasp the depths and the, the and the complexity and the, um, the sheer malice involved with the Anglican communion office and the English clerics mainly who put together the agenda and who run who run the show and who who design how the meeting is going to play out and 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 nothing that happened today this this time nothing not a single thing right. disturbed them everything played out exactly how they understood it was going to happen and they it's just so 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 the, the reality is i mean you can't this isn't a this isn't a, a, a slant a slight on any of the bishops who went it's not suggesting they're not wise or smart or clever or whatever but the, but the reality is the british empire has been manipulating people for for, 
for centuries. They know how to do it. They know how to manipulate meetings. Uh, the, the bureaucracy involved in the Anglican, in the Anglican communion office, have, they've had, they have generations, years and years and years of institutional knowledge and how to, how to have a meeting without anything being done. That's right. And how to say things, how to, how to sound profound without saying anything at all. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. um, I mean, the archbishop is really, really good at that, you know? So yeah, so. It, it's, it's, I mean, I, we, during our camping trip, we listened to, uh, Anna and I listened to, again, the last book in the space trilogy by C.S. Lewis. What's it called? Yeah. Uh, that hideous, that hideous that hideous yeah. 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 This is Wither. This is, this is, this is nice. This is NIC. Yeah. This is Wither. That's the Anglican communion that or at least the Anglican communion office. We need the not, mayor to arrive. We need you do. You need Merlin to show up. You're not going to break through that. You're not going to break through that by normal, by honest means. Well, and, and what's happening is that I don't, I don't think they appreciate what a cancer fully aligning themselves with these um, husks, hollowed out husks of churches in the West. It will do for these vibrant dioceses all around the world, because what they've been able to do in the Church of England, the Episcopal Church is for decades, somehow convince themselves that, you know, all is well, you know, that was that somehow that that this decline is a sign of discipleship, that this, the numbers and the, um, you know, the, the lack of baptisms and the lack of member, uh, um, new members classes and all the things somehow are actually pointing towards new life and hope and, uh, uh, you know, reason to join the, the Episcopal Church or the Church of England. And it's in that context that they're, they're able to operate in these meetings where you have, um, people who who apparently don't mind getting together and talking about nothing doing nothing and and then ultimately calling that a victory and it's really it's it was it was it was maddening it was like watching alice in wonderland or something i, I felt like i mean we've talked about it before but but every day i'd wake up and you know there were six hours ahead and i would you know jump after I forced myself to pray and, and sort of before I opened the newspaper, um, <laughs> but I would open and I would read the accounting of the day. And it was like, it could have been any other year um, or any other synod, any other, you know, Episcopal church convention, any, any other, other organization period wouldn't even have to yeah. be a church. That's right. I mean, it was like, okay, we're against climate change. We think violence is bad. We think, you know, workspaces should be safe and all the things. It was like, is this a, like an HR meeting for Google? you know, or something. And it was, it was fascinating now in retrospect, as I think about it, because it was masterful from a certain perspective. I mean, the way that the archbishop was able to spin the worldwide substantive and longstanding disagreement over human sexuality into essentially by fiat saying that we have a, what the equivalent of the dual integrities, um, even though there was no vote, there was no actual discussion, there is no um, agreement at, at all that there is, except for the fact, as we pointed out, that the people uh, refused to boycott it, refused to just say enough of this. And I think, um, you know, it remains to be seen now what the reaction is going to be, because if it, from a certain perspective, I've read people saying, you know, that's it. Like now we've decided the, the Anglican church has finally officially decided that we can agree to disagree and we can walk at arms and we can. And so if that's going to be the official line, 
Well, then I think some of these Orthodox bishops who even were in attendance uh, are going to have some deep soul searching to do because they will now be officially uh, saying that this is a secondary issue for Christian fellowship, which of course even is not they what they said from the right. beginning. Even if they don't say that by showing up, they become the props. That's right. The That's right. The, the fascinating thing here is that the public statements are not representative of what either side actually believes right the orthodox think that the liberals are heretics and the liberals think that the orthodox are homophobes neither one thinks that the other side is respectfully reading the scriptures and prayerfully coming to their conclusions and yet the the talk the sort of official communiques all talk about these dual integrities and everybody's deep in prayer and reading the scriptures when no one actually thinks that we're just right pretending it's a big giant charade that we're sort of somehow on one battleship sailing in one direction when it's like actively sinking out from under us i mean it's important that's a good that's a good point and in that it's important to note like the things they put that the, the, that are put forward as signs of you know walking together of of being of one mind and and that there there's where you get the liberal or the ideologically leftist agenda political agenda put forward so the climate change right so oh well yeah well, okay we have this disagreement about the small thing regarding sexuality <laughs> but um but we hey we agree on the major the major thing, you know, climate change, which is exactly what a church should be talking about. I mean, in fact, that's why Christ instituted the church so that we could get together and talk about saving the environment. Because we all know that, you know, the, unless we get together and do something, uh, unless the church gets there and do, does something, that God is not able to to keep the seasons running on time, running as they, as they do and in rain and seasons and harvests until Jesus comes back. So it's up to the church. Um, It's, 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 it's absurd. I mean, the idea that, that the church gets together and the most important resolutions and no one cares about them. They're so, everyone's so bored when they're put forward. I've been to these meetings. I've been to these conferences. I've been, I've been at GAFCON. I've been the general convention, everyone's so bored when the resolution on climate change comes up or the resolution on, you know, well, then they, and then we should, spend, and then everyone spend, should love puppies. Everyone, you know, right. don't, we were, the resolution against killing puppies. No, but up. then we have to have a special <laughs> commission to make sure that the makeup of the committee uh, to uh, protect the uh, puppies is right. representative right. of the right. I mean, you know, we actually spent, we were in a Dawson, I think you were in there with me, Nick. We were in a Dawson convention once where almost two hours of debate was literally about the makeup of a nine-member committee to address the possibility of getting another committee to address the possibility of not harming dogs. Had to have a member of the youth caucus. Well, there was an actual puppy. Yeah, the youth caucus. Wait, you know, wait, wait, one... wait. No, no. There was not actual... puppies. No, not okay. puppies. <laughs> okay, okay. Please. No, it's funny. I mean, it's it's just that it's so laughable. And it's and it's the exact type of we've told you mockery that's that's has been rightly pointed out by um, you know, uh, culture despisers of the church, you know, I mean, I think about, um, you know, the, the famous debate, remember there was a debate, um, at least in the Church of England, that was decisive, and I just ran against across this again, uh, when I was watching the history of Monty Python, um, that there was a time when the bishop 
there was a the Church of England bishop was brought onto some talk show like a Johnny Carson equivalent on BBC to debate the merits of, of the life of Brian. And the fact that the bishop couldn't see any positive uh, humor or sense of, um, you know, it couldn't laugh at all about himself was actually counter, the, the, what happened was the exact opposite of what he intended because, because there was an inability to see that there was, humor, there was right. some, and in some sense of, that there was some growing sense of, of ridiculousness to the way that they were being perceived it, it actually backfired. And so it's just gone from, from bad to worse. And so, you know, it's like you have an organization that claims to represent God. We said this before, it's unsure about the scriptures, unsure about whether God actually uh, really exists in any specific form, you know, isn't really sure the, the, um, uh, the way this God should be worshiped or whether this, uh, you know, all this is so much ambiguity. And yet we can come together and decide that 16.3% increase in the, you know, overall human wage is what we need to get behind. And that is, we are certain about, or whatever the case may be. And it's just, it's just, it, if it weren't so ridiculous, I mean, it wasn't so sad, it would, it would, it would be funny. I mean, that's, again, that's what Monty Pot does. I mean, it's like, it's, 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 it, it's, what's weird about it, and it's, and it would be strange. Okay, so like, let's say you have a, a convention of people getting together to talk about knitting or talk about, I don't know, a, a, a convention of doctors, but a convention of doctors. And, and so they get together, they talk, you expect them to put out some things about, you know, medical things, <laughs> statements having to do with medicine or any controversies with regard to theories about new medicines or whatever. But instead, you know, they put out statements about theology. Yeah, or the, yeah, theology. <laughs> we, the medical association, you know, think, right. think that God is not Trinity, but he's whatever. That, that people would be like, what, are, what on earth? Why are they even meeting? What? Why, why are they calling themselves the medical association or whatever it is yeah, yeah. And, and meeting and not talking about the actual thing or not putting out or putting out statements or proclamations or whatever about the actual thing that they were formed to proclaim? Well, they yeah, couch exactly. it in terms of what God is saying, but they refuse to acknowledge anything about what he might be saying to sinners. That's right. Or even right. the existence oh, thereof. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what it's, you know, it's almost, I was, I was thinking about it. It's like a reversal of the Reformation we're just watching in front of our faces because, um, in front of our eyes, because, you know, at the time of the Reformation, one of the arguments, particularly because people were not given the Bible, was that, you know, don't worry about the Bible. It's confusing. It's obscure. You don't even know how to read it. Trust us. You know, trust us. We're the clergy. Trust us. We're the, the magisterium. And one of the big pushbacks, obviously, uh, was, you know, you think of, um, I was at Tyndall said, you know, someday the plowboy in England will know the Bible better than the Pope. You know, it was a, you had this idea that once you were able given the scriptures, then you would have the, um, the authoritative word of God. And of course, you would, wouldn't end private interpretation, like you would have the, the tradition to help you understand it, but it would fundamentally be a non-obscure, clear uh, revelation that would then give you comfort and security in the midst of competing opinions about things. And so you have, obviously, um, you, you had this, this freedom, you know, this is what we talked about, Article 6 and Article 20, like this is, you can't prove it from the Bible, you can't. So what's happened now in, in our church, and this is what's compounded by the participation of Orthodox bishops in these meetings, 
is essentially when you allow for this type of fellowship to take place, you are, you are explicitly and implicitly saying that the Bible is not clear on these great issues in front of us and that we, we need to just trust the bishops, you know, trust the, the, the church, trust the, the magisteria essentially. And it's, it's, ultimately so destabilizing for the person in the pew because when you begin to filter that down you say well i know you know we're we're part of an orthodox province right but you know there are good people in those other provinces and you know our bishop is there and you know well at the end of the day who really knows you know i mean i, I hope i hope it's true i hope i hope this is okay you know what that then ultimately gets down to pastorally speaking and we've talked about this before is where the rubber hits the road with respect to am i actually forgiven you know am i actually saved can i trust you know the trumpet call up yonder um well that is part of a whole that's not simply one aspect of a faith that's part of a uh, part of the the body um of belief and if you cut away the confidence at the very base and fundamental level of that belief, which is, has, has God really said, well, then it begins to destabilize and infect the entire rest of your, of your existence. And I, and I, you know, I can only speak for myself with respect to this as a pastor and as a parishioner, you know, I'm also a, a, <laughs> a Christian practitioner at church, but, you know, the, the, the amount of time that I spent in and around this um, sort of this sea of unbelief, you know, it was the sea of unfaith, not Matthew Arnold's sea of faith. I was inoculated against it, but just so. But I remember I gave a talk once when I was shortly after leaving the Episcopal Church and coming to the ACNA, and it was a little bit of an apologetic as to how we got here and why. And I essentially confessed that, you know, associations with unbelief and cynical sort of agnosticism are ultimately, um, we're not impervious to them, no matter how strong you think your faith is, no matter how um, much Bible you, you, you have, like if you are surrounding yourself with people who are functionally um, essentially uh, agnostics, because if you if you're someone who says the Bible isn't clear and God hasn't said about what the purpose and use of your body is, then you're a functional agnostic uh, at, at the end of the day, because you're claiming um, ignorance about clarity uh, that has been uh, present for thousands of years. And so it, if you surround yourself with people like that, and eventually it's going to get you. And we've seen, we all have seen people who have had their resistance worn away um, over decades of this type of association. And I'm, I'm afraid that the longer this persists, and then as a new generation comes up, that isn't you know, that's catechized by the culture more than the Bible in many ways, um, that we're going to see uh, these once great provinces, these once great churches um, possibly uh, be infected and have these millstones tied around them the same way that the Episcopal Church and the Church of England has. And that's, that's, that's what I'm afraid of. That's, that's why, you know, Paul, when he talks about false teachers and false teaching, he speaks, he speaks in terms usually of infection, gangrene, yeast working its way through a whole loaf. I think what happens though is that is that people get confused. And there's, there's several categories in the Bible that I think people like to confuse. Paul sets out very clearly how to distinguish between uh, being uh, in a relationship with a non-believer who says I'm a non-believer believer, and being in a relationship with a believer, someone who says he's a believer who's actually not a believer in 1 Corinthians 5. So he, he talks about if, if, someone's, if someone's in the world and living in keeping with what the world does, 
then of course the Christian is you should associate with him it's because there's there's no there's no confusion like you you it's hard for you to be confused you know <clears throat> excuse me when you're dealing with this person okay this is a non-christian so yeah okay they're they're sleeping with somebody different every night they're drinking a lot they're okay, they're not a believer um and they don't claim to be a believer and so it's so the line is very clear in your mind when, you, when you're, you're interacting with that person but paul said when you when you when someone claims to be a, a christian and yet is an idolater or is a uh whatever if, if they're actually active actively pursuing without repentance without remorse in fact with pride pursuing a particular sinful way of life or heretical idea uh then you're in danger that's that's what paul says do not don't ever associate with those people because then that's when the, that's when the leaven spreads and that's what's going on in lambeth it's 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 not it's 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 not like the global south bishops are going to hang out with people who are claiming to be non-believers and convert them that if that were the case yeah, go, go to the atheist convention. They're going to a place where people are claiming to be believers in Jesus Christ while promoting uh, sexual perversion. And you don't do that without there, there being some kind of effect on you. That's right. That the, the, the Bible is very clear about that. And so, in, in fact, the, the, the article I was mentioning earlier is uh, it's from Anglican Inc., Orthodox Bishops at Lambeth Conference Reaffirm Lambeth 110. The, 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 the Orthodox Bishops put out even though it was going to be voted on officially, they put out Lambeth 110 uh, as a as a kind of voluntary thing that bishops could come forward and affirm. Okay, so when Lambeth 110 was passed, I think it was like oh, this is back in '98. There's five uh, 520 here. There's 526 bishops at Lambeth affirmed it back in 1998 versus 70 bishops opposing it. All right, so so this very well publicized opportunity that every bishop at Lambeth had to reaffirm Lambeth 110. Well, it turns out that only uh, you know, 125 bishops did so far, but yeah, so far, okay, but and it's anonymous. That, it's anonymous, and and there were over 240 global south bishops there. Global south bishops there. Like, I, I'm not surprised. That you know, Church of England. There's only like two or three Church of England bishops who affirmed it, and only two or three Australian bishops who affirmed it. But but there are there are 240 plus Global South bishops at Lambeth. Only 125 have affirmed yeah. it. I mean, what does that say? Does that say they're being subverted? I mean, I don't I don't know. But it's it's a it's a bad yeah. bad look. It yeah. looks terrible. And whoever I don't know who's doing the the politicking on our side at Lambeth, but that was a bad idea. Um, yeah, we should have we should have been able to like ensure that it was going to be a good outcome before we went through that. Yeah, process. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. this is just this is just this is. Just, I mean, in, but this is what happens when you disobey the apostles who tell you not to associate with those who claim to be Christians who are Christians. The illustration that I've read in several places that I think is helpful is the idea of trying to save somebody who's drowning in a river. And when you're on the land and you see somebody drowning in a river, the distinction between the two is very clear. You're on the land. In order to save them, you must stay on the land. That's like the number one rule of saving somebody, right? You've got to be firm so that you can save somebody else. That's the distinction between a Christian on the land and a non-Christian in the water. When you've caught somebody who 
I don't exactly know what the illustration would be here. Something like quicksand or something that looks like land, but is actually very unstable. And they're sort of inviting you out to them. You're going to lose this firm ground that's under you and be unable to save them. Not only unable to save them, but at risk yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's that. But people, I think I'm, I'm so the, the, the ground has shifted. And that's a great analogy actually, Nick, because uh, just since the last Lambeth conference, which I believe the last one was in 2008. I don't think yeah, and we got, and the Episcopal Church got censured in 2008 yeah. to, in, a, in a small way. And I know that because my ordination to the uh, priesthood was a result of like a olive branch being passed from the Church of England to the Episcopal Church. Uh, I was like a, I was like a peace offering. In a certain, it's a long story. But I haven't read a single piece of follow up about that alleged discipline that was levied or suspension no i mean there, there there was it was that was that was a that was a joke i mean it, it, all of that 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 supposedly happened not just to the, the, not just after lambeth but at several of the uh the at the primates meetings they were gonna you know invite they were gonna harumph very loudly yeah they were gonna <laughs> and it just it's just a joke and everyone knows it's a joke. I, I, if you continue you, sir i will harumph twice you can only have one lump instead of two lumps of tea or two lumps of sugar in your tea well this yeah, is what's, <laughs> what's exciting about all this though it's funny i was having lunch breakfast this morning with a um local pastors in a different denomination but has uh suffered some of the same travails for his convictions which we share on a lot of these issues and I was, we were remarking that, you know, that there's an actual unity, a genuine blood-bought unity amongst uh, believers that is confident in the word of God, like secure in their salvation, has a peace that the world does not know. And it, the fact that we have different denominations doesn't, doesn't undercut that unity, you know, which, I mean, to the, ag, to the ignorance um, sort of nominal Christian, the idea of, you know, what faith are you? Are you a Presbyterian or are you a Lutheran? I'm like, okay, I know a lot about your level of catechesis, yeah. what right? What religion are you? Yeah, yeah, what religion are you? Are you an Episcopal or are you? And I'm like, all right, you've, I've, I've, I'm a, uh, I, know we're, I know what we're dealing with here. But to an actual believer who's a Presbyterian um, and a, or a Lutheran or a, an Anglican or a Baptist or whatever, you recognize the differences, but you certainly recognize the deeper unity that perhaps will keep you from your, your secondary or tertiary convictions from worshiping together and, and modeling your polity and your, and your family, for that matter, in different ways. But you certainly would never reject the actual um, fundamental Christianity of a fellow believer who happened to be part of a different denomination. And what we're seeing worldwide is, a, um, is this, this reshuffling of, uh, of, you know, true believers versus uh, people who are, um, who are agnostics and skeptics. Uh, and it happens to be run along the anthropological line, you know, because it's not just sexuality, although that's a big part of being a human, but the whole idea of human identity down to the very genetic makeup of our bodies. And on the other side of this, you're going to have a greater unity across various denominations, even including, I think, um, you know, which might be anathema to some of our, to our listener, but um, amongst the Roman Catholics, you know, you're going to have like the Roman Catholics of like the, you know, the John Paul II variety who wrote, you know, theology of the body type, who are going to see in 
in our church and other Orthodox churches, much more uh, commonality than perhaps was ever imagined, even, you know, 50 years ago or 100 years ago, or certainly 400 years ago. And I think that on the other side of this, that the global Christian witness, it will be stronger. I think that, um, that because there is no middle ground to this understanding, there will be churches that will fall away, there will be people that will slowly, um, you know, work for their pension, and they'll, they'll, have all the meetings they can and get it there, take their early retirement just as soon as they can, and then hope that the next people had more courage than they did, you know, whatever the case may be. But on the other side of this, there's going to be a clear division between people who believe that God has spoken about the most fundamental and important aspects of human existence, and therefore given them comfort and peace in the midst of this, and people who join, you know, the crowds at the Colosseum, um, worshiping the, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the God of the local city is um, in, in all of its various flags and, um, and uh, celebrations. And so I, um, you know, I just <laughs> keep thinking of that quote that everyone uses from Lord of the Rings, you know, I wish I, I, wish I didn't have to go through this, you know, and, and, uh, and nevertheless, I, I do see, um, even in the midst of, of some of these, um, you know, disappointing meetings, um, signs of hope globally as various churches are awoken or awakened to the fact that um, the middle ground is is has disappeared and uh, you know you will be called upon particularly as a minister or a leader in a church to to make uh, yourself known on what er what side of this divide you stand and on the other side of that we're going to look around and I, I believe we're going to be encouraged more than discouraged not necessarily by the numbers, but by the actual um, witness of the, the, the cloud of witnesses and the, the witness of the church militant here on earth around us. I'd be interested to, to know what it felt like to be living through the time of the early continental reformation. And I, you just referred earlier, JD, to the idea that what's happening in worldwide Anglicanism right now is sort of a reversal of the, the reformation. I wonder what do you guys think, a reformation in Anglicanism now might look like? Yeah, I think that a lot of people within the ACNA, are you, are you talking about the ACNA in particular or the communion in, in general? I meant the communion in general, okay. but the ACNA is where we live. I mean, we, we're, we're semper reformanda, right? Even though the ACNA is a, yeah. a new denomination, we need to be returning to the source at all times. Right now, I mean, within the ACNA, I think, two things. The first would be that I think there are a lot of congregations who came out of the Episcopal church wanting very desperately to be the Episcopal church 19 or 2002, right? If we can just get reset the clock to what the Episcopal church was the hour before Dean Robinson was consecrated, then all will be, 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 be well. And, and that, and that, and that ignores like what it was that led to Gene Robinson being consecrated. Yeah, for I mean, sure. There, 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 there have been decades and decades of neglect of the scriptures, uh, uh, uh obscuring of the gospel. I mean, I think, I do think a recapturing, a re recovery of the, the, of actual gospel, what the gospel actually is and, and have that proclaimed in our churches is absolutely necessary. The gospel is not 
we go out and feed the poor and help the hungry and, you know, and, and, and clothe the naked and all those are very good things, but those are consequences of the gospel. They're not the gospel, but but in many, many dioceses in the ACNA, that's the gospel. Um, we need to recover what the gospel is, which is about what God has done, not what we do, what God did through Jesus, not the way we do because of Jesus. So that's, that's a huge thing in the ACNA that's, that's right now at risk globally. I mean, I think, I mean, the, the same, same kind of thing I mean, we have, we have just rank heretics in, in, a, in, a, in an Anglican communion, people who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead or that he's born of a virgin or the, or the bishops who don't believe that he was raised from the dead and born of a virgin. We have John Spong's type, type bishops in the C of E and the Church of Ireland and the Church of Scotland and other, other places that just seem to be excommunicated. I mean, there needs to be a, a full-on Josiah reform in <laughs> in the Anglican communion if it's going to survive as a communion. I don't think it is surviving. I think it's dead at this point. But but if it's going to survive, there has to be an actual thoroughgoing Josiah-like, off with their heads, not literally, but in an ecclesiastical sense, off like with the their, red queen style, off with, <laughs> off with their collars, out with their, out with their lies, no more, just a thoroughgoing, destroying the temples of Baal cleansing. And then of course, the re, a re preaching of the gospel yeah. in, in, in all of the, the North, Northern provinces and Western provinces. Well, you were more involved than I was Matt, um, back then way back, uh, in the day, but, um, but isn't that sort of what the Jerusalem Declaration was supposed to be? Like people yep. affirmed that, and if you didn't affirm it, then you you weren't part of the the. the yeah, you can't be part remnant. of the Gafcon. You can't right. be part of Gafcon if you don't affirm it. And and that, so so if if that if if the this is why I would hope that I want Gafcon. I would I would I'd pray and hope that one day Gafcon decides. You know what? We're not even going to even worry about the Anglican Communion anymore. Amen. This is the new thing. Let's let's focus our efforts here. Um, and then, then you, then you have a, then you don't need to reform anything. And then you have, I mean, you, you do need to reform things. You're, there, there are definitely some discipline issues, issues with the GAFCON, but, but you have good structures, you have good bones there. You, can you work do. With. Yeah, we've talked about yeah. this. Yeah, and I think you know we have here in South Carolina, we have a wonderful relationship with um, New Wineskins, um, and as a result, all of the various many bishops from all over the world come every year and um, stay with us. And one's coming, uh, Bishop of Tanzania is coming. Uh, to St. Luke's in a couple of months, for instance, and the the residual effect of those relationships uh, is is almost it's hard to hard to to explain um, or it's hard to put into words how powerful it is to have these these bishops and these these genuine relationships with these um, you know Gafcon and and other Orthodox bishops come to our church, particularly in light of all of the challenges that we've been facing with respect to lawsuits and things, and it's. It's it's a vision of what it could be if we could somehow cut away from from like I said before these associations of unbelief you know I mean so so what if we're somewhat smaller maybe it's so we're not as sophisticated seeming in the eyes of the nominal Christian and all of this sort of negatives that supposedly exist cannot be outweighed by the positives of free and clear um, gospel proclamation across cultures across um, socioeconomic boundaries and and beginning to build and develop that without any concern, frankly, for, you know, for, for whatever the Archbishop of Canterbury says or whatever, you know, the presiding bishop says, uh, the Episcopal Church. And, you know, I know that I, if you had heard, if I had heard myself saying that five years ago, I would have 
wondered what had happened. And well, I will answer my previous self by simply saying, I now know what it's like to have been freed from some of those associations and, and watched the fruit of that, not only in my own life and ministry, but in the ministry of the churches that I've been called to serve. And to think that that could happen on a province level, um, if not a global level, uh, is really something quite joyful to comprehend or, or to, to imagine. And so I think yeah, I mean, I, I am interested in, in how the Global South and GAFCON and all of this will respond to this Lambeth, because it does seem that that the the fighting is over, the shouting is over, uh, and they tried, they pushed, they were sort of, um, it was parried, you know, the, and and now we're at a crossroads again. Um, you know, what is the response to this? Is it is it do we do do we just now agree to disagree, or do we actually have time or, or energy to say something more decisive? Um, and of course, you know, I'm just one little voice here, but I hope um, I, I, I will be prayerful and hopeful uh, for our leadership going forward. I know that diocesan and provincial structures are not set up for it, and I know that both dioceses and provinces have systemic things they have to worry about trainings and bylaws etc but i would love for for a season perhaps every diocesan convention or synod or provincial meeting just be a set of gospel proclaiming sermons just inundate the leadership the staff the clergy preach the gospel to us so that we're overflowing with it. We go back to our churches and do the same thing. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll have to do the procedural stuff too. I, I understand that that goes with the territory, but um, I would love some province wide gospel proclamation. Amen. Amen. Well, perhaps we'll talk about something besides Lambeth Conference next week. <laughs> we'll see. We never got to say the Lambeth Conference. <laughs> the Lambeth Conference. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be all the time that we have uh, this week. Uh, we are always grateful for your listening. Uh, if you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.